The outside of La Sagrada Familia in Barcelona is covered in statues. So many figures hanging off its surface that from a distance, the building looks gnarled or seems to be crumbling. But when our group had passed through the security checkpoint, I could get up close to the facade and I started to make out the individual faces. In fact, with 15 minutes until our guide was going to meet us and take us inside, I made a kind of game out of it, trying to decipher who all those Bible characters were. I studiously avoided the placard that gave away all the answers and tried to wow my friends with my knowledge of religious iconography. Sure, the Magi were easy to recognize, three guys with gifts, but had they gotten Simeon and Anna above the doorway there, the old prophet holding a newborn Jesus, knowing without being told that the God of the universe was held in this young body, my friends were unfazed. It turns out that people aren't that impressed when a minister knows Bible stories. But that didn't stop me from being impressed. That didn't stop me from kind of nodding along smugly as our tour guide confirmed my suspicions statue by statue. All of it gave me a kind of pleasant sense of mastery of having tamed this otherwise imposing wall of statuary. I knew these characters. I was familiar with their stories and the God that they pointed to. I was an expert in this religion and people knew it, counted on it. Then our tour guide led us under the archway where Simeon and Anna stood gawking open-mouthed at the Messiah through the doors and into the basilica and I looked up and I started to cry and I heard nothing that the guide was saying and I literally staggered and bumped into a friend and I still couldn't bring myself to say, excuse me. I just looked at him with tears in my eyes, speechless, breathless, astonished. Words help us to tame things, to master them or make them more manageable and maybe less true. Even writing about stepping into that sanctuary in Spain, it loses something. It becomes something flatter, more understandable, less special than what it really was. Partly because words themselves get tamed as we use them and overuse them. As they get associated with other words, they become duller and more general, less strange. Like astonish, Mary Oliver's instructions to be astonished. It makes it sound easy and pleasant, but at its roots, astonished means thunderstruck. That feeling of being out in a storm, nowhere to turn, no time to count between the flash of lightning and the crack boom that follows. That teeth clenching, breath holding silence, that noise so loud it shakes you, so powerful, so scary, so close that you can't speak, that you can't think, you 
stand frozen like a statue? Now to my ears, astonishment sounds like wonder, a really overused word, beautiful and serene, but, but the closer synonyms are things like stun, daze, deafen, Words that suggest our ability to respond has been impaired. Not the hush of wonder, but the gasp of terror. That's what Habakkuk means, I think. The Lord is in the holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before God. The creator of the universe is here. The immortal, invisible one, that mighty fortress. Be astonished. Be thunderstruck. That's the feeling of being in the presence of holiness, of coming close to the sacred core of existence. Habakkuk compares it to all the people talking to idols and with idols, all the coaxing that they do, all the explaining of who who this God is and, and what they can do for you. The sense of mastery one has over something they've created with their own hands, these stone figures whose stories they know by heart. But if they sensed for even a moment the real thing, the prophet says, all those stories would fall away. Taking in even a tiny sliver of creation, the air, the light captured in that holy temple, in that Spanish basilica, the sacredness made known in that particular architecture would leave them unable to respond. That's how it was for me. That's how it is for lots of people in the Bible, Bible characters whose stories you might know. Job spends 30-some chapters arguing with his friends about life and death and God. They fill pages and pages with their theories. And then God speaks and Job is silenced. What shall I answer you? He responds. I lay my hand on my mouth. When Zechariah meets the angel who is going to tell him that his wife Elizabeth will have a son. He meets him there in the temple and he's so overwhelmed he's unable to speak until the boy needs a name. The guards at Jesus's tomb shake and become like dead men, the story says. Saul on the road to Damascus loses his sight and can't eat for three days. Over and over again, the people who get nearest to God, who come close to the sacred core of existence are overwhelmed, disconcerted, unsettled, even terrified. That's how you know the difference, Habakkuk says, between what's real and what's fake. Between the God created by human hands and the creator of the universe between true sacredness and the stories that people tell to tame it. Mary Oliver is a poet who gets tamed. These instructions for living a life have been taken out of context and pinned to like thousands of Pinterest walls. Just like a picture of wildflowers over the words, pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. 
They sound like something you would find on a throw pillow or a day planner. But the poem they come from is weird. It does, yes, eventually get to sunflower and laughter at the end, but most of it is about death and the end of relationships and some strange creature at the bottom of a pond. It starts, something came up out of the dark. It wasn't anything I had ever seen before. It wasn't an animal or a flower, unless it was both. Something came up out of the water, a head the size of a cat, but muddy and without ears. I don't know what God is. I don't know what death is, but I believe they have between them some fervent and necessary arrangement. Which would make a strange throw pillow. This is not a poem that offers simplistic instructions for a beautiful Pinteresty life. It's a poem that leads down deep into the murk to the place where we can be dazzled and dumbstruck by mystery, by death, by the things that get dredged up from the muddy bottom of ourselves, by the God we meet in that place. Not the God of my own creation, but the God who created me, the one who makes me lay my hand on my mouth and lose my appetite, who leaves me shaken like a dead man. That astonishing God can be found in the vaulted ceiling of a cathedral, but also in the monstrous creature raising its earless head from the dark water. That God may strike me silent with beauty, but also with death. Death gets tamed. When I started this sermon, I thought I would speak here about Dante Wright. And then the video of Adam Toledo was released. And then the FedEx facility in my hometown was attacked. And with so much death, it becomes hard to know where to focus. It's easy for me to get overwhelmed. It's tempting for me to start categorizing these deaths, to make them part of larger narratives, stories I already know how to tell about police violence, about mass shootings, tragic stories, but stories I feel like I, I understand that give me some sense of a mastery or at least of comprehension, words that help me tame that awful reality, that give me a shortcut around the unthinkable end of even one life by violence. When I recognize that temptation in myself, Habakkuk reminds me it is not a holy one. It's not the path that leads to the sacred core of existence, to the sacred core of who these children were. Habakkuk reminds me that they deserve more, deserve better of me. Their lives and their deaths deserve my astonishment. 
what Rabbi Heschel calls my radical amazement. Heschel says that it, even if a person of faith understands science and history, even if they're able to tell a story about the way the world works, even if that story is true, he says, to find an approximate cause is no answer to our astonishment. One attitude is alien to the person of faith's spirit, taking things for granted. A person of faith cannot take things for granted. Another police killing, another mass shooting, another life, another death. Every one of them must leave us staggered. Dante Wright was 20 years old. 21 years ago, his family waited for him with fear and anticipation the way I was waiting for my nephew a couple weeks ago. He had uncles and aunts, brothers and sisters, parents, a mother who carried and fed him. He was charismatic. He was voted class clown in the ninth grade. He had a dangerous left-handed jump shot. He had a son who bears his name, whom he doted on, who will have no memory of him. He was murdered by someone sworn to protect him. And if it was an accident, it was an accident with unmendable consequences and with deep roots. He was created and loved by the same God who created and loves you. A sliver of the God of the universe chose to dwell in that particular architecture and the world will never be the same for its loss. He was not just part of a bigger story. He was not one of many, he was one of one and his death is unspeakably bad. And yes, we must speak about it. We know the violence of remaining quiet for too long. Step three in Mary Oliver's instructions is tell about it, but only after step two. There is also violence in speaking too quickly, too easily in telling stories that give a sense of comprehension to the incomprehensible. Stories that take for granted what we must never take for granted, the sacred core at the center of every life, the God made known in every vulnerable young body. Be astonished. The Lord was in that holy temple. Let all the earth Keep silence.